Hey, welcome everybody. It's Draft Politics episode 34 on week one of impeachment. It's EJ. And I feel with like me. it's been week one of impeachment for know, like at least a year now, but it's Steve. Uh, welcome back, or welcome if you've never been here before. Uh, but yeah, we've got uh, impeachment to talk about. But first, I want to circle back on Iran since we've got some news around that. Actually, before that. Oh, yes. I, I do want to just uh, call out uh, Jim Lehrer uh, today, longtime host and one of the founders of PBS NewsHour, passed away. Um, I, you know, I got to say that I actually started watching the news on PBS because we had terrible, terrible reception, and that was like all we got. Yeah. Uh, it was the McNeil Lehrer NewsHour. Yeah, it was. PBS it was the McNeil so, yeah. Lehrer NewsHour. So, um, you know, sorry to see. Uh, somebody who's so influential in journalism, especially just hard, straight news, uh, passed away today. Not that I'm a journalist, but, you know, interest in the news started with watching. We are, we are, we are journalist-esque. Yes. Yes. Uh, mere <laughs> shadows. <laughs> okay. Now. I got Iran. ahead of myself. Let's get back to it. Uh, Iran. Um, so when uh, the missile attack from Iran happened, all was all, well. All was well. Uh, we gave you that update in our World War III report. EJ, how's World War III going? World War III status report. Uh, well, all was a little less well than well was reported. Right. Yes. Uh, Eleven soldiers uh, were injured by the attack, and... Uh, basically, they're having concussion-like symptoms. Yeah. Probably, you know, large missiles blowing up explosions, you know, can cause that sort of thing. Um, it's interesting because Trump is still trying to downplay this. He said, I don't consider them very serious injuries relative to other injuries I've seen. I've seen people with no legs and no arms during his time in Vietnam, I, I assume. I guess. I <laughs> so, uh yeah, so they weren't they weren't sent. Uh, they they were moved away from uh, their bases there uh, to Kuwait and Germany to get their symptoms treated. And I don't know exactly what right. else to be done, but obviously it's serious enough that they're moving there. It's not just bone spurs, right? It's not just bone spurs. And you wonder again. There's just so little credibility in the administration. So it goes from no injuries whatsoever to 11, and then probably just concussions. But we're moving them to Ramstein. And right. Like, but, uh, yeah, at least they've got their arms and legs, probably. You know, right, which, which you know, tomorrow might involve into, well, 50 people are killed. I mean, it, who knows? He, who knows? But he also had to downplay the no retaliation. So had it been worse, he would have had to look like a man, in quotes. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, back. I don't know what to do with this because I'm like, this is I'm glad, you know, I'm I glad we didn't retaliate and had they been treated as injuries at the time maybe we would have uh, i don't know yeah. it's it's complicated this is the world we live in uh but yeah so that's iran uh no I, war at this point so yeah. that's good and according to the white house donald trump met with the president of iran but they actually meant iraq <laughs> they just you know they start with i they're kind of in the puddle, same. Puddle, puddle, Iran, Iraq. It's they're, all, they're in the same you know, part of the typos world. Typos happen. What are you going to yeah, do? Yeah, I just, it was a very funny statement that everybody was like, wait, what? <laughs> yes. Uh, record scratches. But let's talk about the real, the real news this week. The Senate, the 
trial yes. for the removal of the president in yes. the Senate. So we've started. talked excitedly about, you know, a vote for impeachment or a vote to start impeachment and all of that. But we're now finally at the actual right. trial. Uh, early on, this is uh, two days ago now that we, we got the rules finally locked down. Right. Well, the, the rules were sort of announced on Monday. Yes. And then there was Tuesday a marathon session of votes about who was going to potentially be a witness and what information was going to be released. Yeah, so that first day was all about... uh, That first day was 100% about agreeing on the rules, and that also meant that amendments had to be considered. So the the way the Senate works in this case is somebody's going to put a resolution forward. In this case, Mitch... Mitch McConnell put this resolution forward, and from there, amendments could be proposed, and each of those amendments had to be voted on, up or down, or to table. Yes. So that process took till 2 a.m. It went to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To 2 a.m. So the initial draft of the the rules had kind of laid out some things, and Mitch McConnell had talked for weeks about how it was just going to follow the 1999 uh trial of Bill Clinton and, you know, the time frames and the, the structure was going to be the same, but he had some very interesting variations from that in the original draft. And so that included, you know, they said, we're going to have 24 hours per side to do their, you know, lay out their case, but they wanted to do it over two hours, which would have two meant... Two days. Two days, sorry. Yes. Two days, which would have meant 12-hour days, which, uh, you know, starting at 1, a, 1 p.m. Right. You know, pushes it quite late. That's a long day. Uh, The other part that was really interesting was that he'd said that the investigative outputs from the House would not be entered in as evidence in the Senate. Right. And so that each of those would have to be individually put into the record as evidence. There would be a vote for each one of those. Right. Yeah. So there were votes to to address some of that. you can start getting some insights into how Democrats are thinking about what the outcome of impeachment is because they were forcing individual votes on every single thing rather than allowing them to combine votes. Um, yep. Basically ensuring that they get Susan Collins and Cory Gardner and, and Martha McSally and Joni Ernst and all of them on the record voting against ultimately what it will be presented as a fair trial uh, over right. and over again. So they can say she voted 10 times to work with Trump to cover up everything. Well, and, you know, in fairness, a lot of those were tabling yes. motions. Yes. So, you know, things are, you know, being tabled until after the first, you know, 48 hours of, of case presentation. Right. Now, I don't expect things to change at all. Those 48 hours. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen Collins come out and say that she wasn't voting against the witnesses. She just doesn't think that this is the time to have that vote. They need to have the back and forth between uh, both sides with the opening arguments. Then they would vote on that because I'm sure that she'll be paying very close attention and that will be open to having her mind changed. Well, look, on one hand, (laughs) I would say that. In the Clinton trial, they did wait until after those 
opening salvos to vote on witnesses. Yes. Now, I, so I think that there is some and they end up having I think here. like three witnesses yeah. in that trial. So there were there actual were witnesses. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was a different, certainly a different case. It shouldn't be looked at as exactly the same. In the Clinton impeachment, you had twenty months of investigated investigative work by the Starr Commission and whatever that binder of 700 pages yeah. of softcore porn that was handed over as the findings. So, you know, uh, there was maybe less need for witnesses in that case. I- I'm not defending anybody, but i trying to be level about, you know, what things were like then. And now, now that said, I wholly agree with the strategy of pass it, trying to pass amendments for subpoenas of people Absolutely. and documents like yeah all and of if they get things. tabled fine we'll come back to that um it's really still the same fundamental debate of you know what is this trial going to look like at the at the end of things right um you know and it's been interesting seeing the republicans trying to suggest that and this is this is not the republican senators this is the republican trial managers suggesting that Democrats hadn't done all of their work because they didn't have these people testifying. And it's like, well, in a trial, you have witnesses. It turns out, like, since the dawn yeah. of this country and much of history before this in other countries that have led up to it, tr- witnesses happen at trials. Turns out, you know, it's not just depositions, which is basically what you get in the, uh, the House uh, review of all this. Well, and something that's really interesting, actually, is that, you know, they're saying now, on in the impeachment trial well you needed to have exhausted all other methods of getting people in front of you so we subpoenaed everybody but this isn't valid because you didn't go through the courts to try to get them get them in now keep in mind that on the other side the don mcgann subpoena has been working its way through the courts where the Department of Justice under William Barr is arguing that the courts should not intervene in subpoenas between the executive and legislative branch. So you have to go to court, but you shouldn't be going to court. Right. (laughs) How convenient for him. (laughs) How convenient. Um, So, yeah, so we've gone through that process. We now have the rules that will be in play for the next few days when they do their opening arguments. Um, The senators are not allowed to have their phones. They are only allowed to have water or milk on the Senate floor. Brought to you by the nation's milk council. Milk. It's what's for impeachment. Right. Like, I I have to imagine that it's like, well, no, the dairy lobby would be pissed if milk was not allowed on the... (laughs) It was really amazing. But the whiskey lobby clearly needs to do a little bit better job. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... But apparently they've been there's been issues with the the senators. They're supposed to be staying in the in the room right. and they're supposed to stay largely in their seats. Now of course they get up and stretch their legs or whatever, but um, apparently some of the senators have been leaving the chamber when they're not supposed to, uh, presumably to go talk to the whiskey council uh, about what options they might have uh, in the future. Well, and I guess uh, Yesterday, during day one of the Democratic case being laid out, at one point there were 21 Republican senators who were out of their seats or out of the room. Yeah. So there you go. Where's that sergeant of arms? 
right? under pain of imprisonment. He right. says it every day. But the procedure, man. The procedure. The procedure. <laughs> uh, so, so, yeah. yeah. So right now we're in day two of the 24 hours of time that the Democrats have yeah. to lay out their case. So right now this is all happening. If you tune into C-SPAN at this moment, you would be finding this out. But uh, we're not watching C-SPAN. We're recording a podcast. So Maybe I'm also watching C-SPAN. Might be. Maybe my dog is watching C-SPAN. I think so. A C-Spaniel. Right. There, there you go. go. <laughs> Take that one to the bank. That's your dad joke of the week. That's your dad joke of the week. So, uh, you know, and it's it's been pretty clear from... There have been a, a couple things that I would say have been pretty clear. One, the Republican arguments are going to go the same way that ridiculous letter uh, that was sent to the House went. Just essentially, they're going to be very on brand and just make shit up. So starting with, you know, the uh, president's attorney, Cipollone, coming out and saying, well, this, this is you know, shades of the Mueller investigation where they came out and said absolutely no collusion and no obstruction of justice, which, of course, was not true. That's not what the the report said. But what do we care about truth? And then going further to say it's been so rigged, the investigation in the House was so rigged that Republicans were not even allowed inside of the skiff during those secret hearings, which also is demonstratively false. I mean, it's just a lie. There's no, there's no misunderstanding there. There's no anything but we're going to lie about this. So I assume that that is just the shades of what's to come, that this is just, look, we don't care what, we know what's going to happen in the end. We're going to lie as much as we want for sound bites for Fox News. And it's kind of, it's really... It's really disturbing. Yeah. I mean, there are there are real legal and constitutional arguments that could be made. Yeah. Well, and so this led to some back and forth on the first day where um, basically that Democrats are accusing the Republicans of lying about what's going on. And 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 at the end of that day, uh, Justice Roberts comes out and he's like. I want to admonish both sides because he has to admonish both sides. He can't just pick out one or the other because that's not how this works. Um, and he uh, he talked about uh, how it is that this that the they have to remember that they're in the Senate, which is the most uh, it's the world's greatest deliberative world's body. World's greatest deliberative body. Really? Is it? Because <laughs> voted on by whom? <laughs> It's the one thing the Senate passed. This like, year. I'm assuming it was passed on, like, a party line vote yeah. that it is the most, yeah. Well, if you read Deliberative Body Monthly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yes, and he, he talked about uh, a, a fine term, pettifogging. Uh, apparently, in the 1905 Swain trial, a senator objected when one of the managers used the word pettifogging, and the presiding officer said the word ought not to have been used. And it was like basically petty fog is basically being pedantic and, and, oh, and that kind of thing. Okay. It's like, I, I thought I remember that from from a certain Supreme Court justice's high school calendar. So Right, well, <laughs> right. And another thing that we saw on the first day was uh, 
Jay Sekulow losing his mind over lawyer lawsuits. And so what happened was Democrats were presenting their side of things and were yeah. trying to get ahead of uh, the, uh, the expectation Republicans were saying they should just use FOIA lawsuits in order to get the information they need, which the FOIA lawsuits are filed by outside journalists, has nothing to do with congressional oversight power. It's totally separate. So they talked about uh, how we shouldn't be using FOIA lawsuits. Sekulow comes out and he's like, this goes on this couple minute tirade about lawyer lawsuits. It was confusing. It was hilariously confusing. And he's like talking about how like they're, it's, that's inappropriate to bring up in this hallowed body kind of thing. It's, it was a completely absurd. And it's like somebody actually went up to uh, their press people afterwards and were like, so did he mishear the FOIA lawsuit as lawyer lawsuit? And they're like, well, let me get back to you on that. And they came back and they're like, uh, no, it was in the transcript. No, it's not. It's a rough transcript. And, and this is like a piddly point, but I bring it up because it's sort of representative of how this whole process has worked. Here is a thing that somebody says. Here is a completely absurd overreaction to it and a bunch of tirade over something that isn't a thing. Lawyer lawsuit is not a thing. Not a thing. Or it's everything. All, all lawsuits yeah, have lawyers. But it is one or the other. It's just, it made no damn sense and, at and all. And then just no willingness to say, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. It's just bombast. It's yeah. pure bombast, and that's all this Must is. Must gaslight so, all yeah. the time. So, uh, anyhow, we'll move on from that. Let's start talking about what's actually being, like, covered in the trial and, and yeah. how the Democrats are presenting so, things. So, yesterday, day one of the Democratic case, um, Adam Schiff, sort of the lead, the lead manager, got up there. And I've got to say, like, I think he is a very compelling storyteller he put this narrative together yeah, very he's a well. federal prosecutor by yes. trade so yep and he walked everything through very clearly and i'll tell you both day one and day two i've heard a lot of repetition on the timeline it they did this they did that it was at the direction of the president there has to be a lot of repetition yeah um, but they they did a really good job of punctuating parts of the story with clips of, you know, either witnesses from the public hearings in the House or maybe Mick Mulvaney saying, get over it, you know, those kinds of things. So day one was, I think, mostly focused on the timeline, yeah. setting out that narrative again. And a lot again. of it was very similar to what you saw in uh, the the house presentations of the same evidence yeah the difference you saw was basically just i think a little more clear on the timeline and also adding in some of the newer information right. that we've received since all of this came right. out text messages between the lev and yeah various and like making folks. clear that okay yeah there was this this call on on july 25th but then making a point that there were conversations that happened in like the 30 minutes before that call to make clear what that call was about. Right. And and I'll say, you know, they tried to get ahead of some of the defense by saying this is not in a vacuum. And and I am also going to say that we said this like, I don't know, five months ago, whenever this started, just three months ago. But, you know, look, this is that call can't be looked at in a vacuum. Right. That's not how mob bosses work. Yeah. That's exactly a parallel to, and this is what we said before, the stuff with Ed Burke. 
you have other people delivering the message, delivering the message, and then you hammer it home in a subtle or not so subtle way at the very right. end without saying yeah, any of the other things. Yeah, you set up the context where it's so you can talk to it indirectly right. and not get yourself in trouble. But he got himself in trouble anyhow. So, so uh, the other thing I really liked about day one was, you know, the Democrats really doing a good job of trying to bring things to life, make it not boring, good for TV. And at one point, they're talking about obstruction of Congress. And they bring up a video clip of Donald Trump at Davos earlier that day bragging about obstructing Congress. Going, yeah. ah, everything's great. Things are going perfectly. You know why? Because we have all the materials, you know, and then sort of parenthetically, it's, materials that would be a lot of trouble for me and they don't have them yeah 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 also tweet record broken on day one 142 tweets by the president it's like he's upset or something huh weird uh very stable genius so today is day two did you what have you caught of day two so far uh nothing actually (laughs) i i i I quickly looked at some uh, review of what was going on before we came in, but, uh, you know, obviously this is ongoing right now. Uh, Yeah, day two, at least starting, was about the constitutionality. Yeah, and I mean, to to my mind, I'm much more interested in the facts of what happened rather than the constitutional arguments, because I think the constitutional arguments are, it's much more readily a he said, she said kind of thing of like, well, we think it's constitutional and we don't, and you don't think it's constitutional. So, um, Uh, Well, but one of the Republican talking points and the defense is going to be things like there was no statutory law broken and it must rise to these things. And you have to do. Yeah. And that was a good point. Real impeachment. Yeah. I love them using the the words against them of Dershowitz, uh, of Graham, uh, you know, basically showing that they had previously said hey, there doesn't have to be a crime committed to in order yeah. for her to be impeachable. That was really, it was but, really nice. But to be fair, Dershowitz is more correct now than he was before. So I, I, I don't know how maybe working for uh, a certain, you know, pedophile ring guy might have helped him to, you know, come to terms with such things. But <laughs> he's clearly uh, changed his position on what a real crime is. Right. Hey, if you do it in a private island in the caribbean it's fine right i i thought it was interesting though that lindsey graham just happened to stand up and walk out a minute before he got called out yeah as you know you know this clip of lindsey graham in 99 saying does it need to be a crime no if it if the president does something that's mean or hurtful to somebody else, that's a high crime. It's a truth. <laughs> it's a good it's a good Lindsey Graham. Uh. <laughs> I think it's not bad. I He's got the papers, bad. everybody. So, yeah, it was great. He just happened to get up during that period of time. And, of course, all the senators have the PowerPoints on their desk, I'm sure. I wonder if they print those out full page or in the notes version. Oh, well, you have to assume, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, any surprises for you from the first? Not really. I mean, you know, I I think it's good seeing the way the timeline's been presented and and getting all those extra details in there. 
overall, I feel like it's it's kind of everything we've expected so far. It's, you yeah. know, the same, you know, let's make our case. Let's talk about the constitutionality of our case. I assume, I don't know what day three will be. I'm assuming it's just kind of tying it all together. Uh, I'm actually much more curious to see what the Republicans are going to talk about for three days. Oh, nothing. I think they're going to go. I think they go for... Case closed. Yeah. Why not? Why not? You know, why not on Friday? Right. They can just, yeah, if they just came out and just said, clearly the Democrats have not proved their point and just called it. Right. Please, for spare, spare us sitting through C-SPAN of you guys talking about the process right. for 24 hours. I've got to say this. Like, I've been really surprised and impressed by the sweet... Sweet multimedia action <laughs> by the Democrats. I mean, I mean, like it is seamless. They, I don't know how they pulled this together so well, but it's like we're talking, and all of a sudden we've got the, you know, we've got a video clip from CNN from 1999, and another clip from, you know, from a website from 2014, and then they've got the little screenshot, and it says it's got the, you know, WeChat or you know, uh, WhatsApp logo, so you know what chat program it is. Right. And they've got the little pictures of people and, like, the dot, dot, dot for their talking. I mean, like, really well done. I'm waiting for the VR version. Right. I'm waiting for, like, the, you know, sit in the room. with. If you reach under your, your seat, Senators, you'll find Oculus Go. And you'll be able to, like, <laughs> sit in the room for the July 25th call. You know, like experience it from the Oval Office right. and now from Zelensky's office. Like I it's been it's been uh I assume the really well Republican done. version of this will just be uh grabbing a bunch of random memes from 4chan and just putting them on the screen. It, you know, it doesn't matter. We're just putting stuff up here. We're just putting stuff oof level large. <laughs> like it's gonna be all the all meme defense. Right. Um, one of the things that did crack me up, though, was that the Trump lawyers were expressing their concern that if Trump is impeached, he would be removed from the 2020 ballot. As though that wasn't, like, obvious and in the cards. And, and yeah, that's kind of the point, is he shouldn't be running for office because he's being a criminal. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. It's actually a non sequitur. Right. He's only on the ballot in... However many states have already had their cutoff. Well, for the primary, but for the general election, you have all the ballots. But, but it is. It would be interesting if he actually got impeached, which will not happen. But if he actually got no, he's been impeached. impeached. God damn it! I know it's hard. It's hard not to remember. (laughs) If he is convicted, there you go. They need to come up with a better term for convicting for impeachment, like extra impeached. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not in the marketing department for the founding fathers. Um... But, you know, like, if he actually did get convicted, uh, that they took, like, they've ended primaries and took people off the ballot and whatever. So, like, there are lots of states where there's no way anybody can even run, theoretically. And I guess... Yeah, I don't know what would happen. Like, would... It's an interesting... Bill Weld? Right, because would Bill Weld just win by default because he happened to be there? Just... Which would be kind of awesome. Just wakes up one day and he's like, like I guess I'm going to be president. I, right. I'm going to run for president. Oh, I'm running against uh, Klobuchar, I guess. I don't know. Hey, now, let's not (laughs) jump ahead. The other thing I've thought is interesting is, you know, the Democrats are also trying to get ahead of things about the Bidens. So, you know, they've they've gone back to testimony from 
uh, the House impeachment hearings, you know, essentially saying all the Biden stuff is bunk. Even, you know, things from Lutsenko, the old prosecutor. So they're spending their time also trying to get ahead of the arguments that are going to be coming from. Right. Well, you know, and part of me is annoyed with them even doing that because it's like, this is clearly BS. Why are we even pretending it isn't? But that's obviously what the Republicans are going to spend all of their time on is just talking about, you know, assuming they don't just show up and just be like, we're not doing this. We're done. All good. Uh, but, yeah, they're going to just talk about Biden and Hunter and just use, you know, 24 hours of news time. Um, it'll be interesting to see because Fox News has not been covering the yeah, impeachment. Yeah. But I bet you they'll cover the three days of Republicans doing it. I, I'm not taking that bet. Thank you. <laughs> not taking that bet. Right. Uh, you want to move on from the impeachment? Uh, well, one more thing I think was interesting in all this is, uh, oh, yeah. is Chris Coons uh, was apparently trying to offer a deal of the Republicans could get either Hunter Biden or Joe Biden to appear as a witness in exchange for John Bolton appearing as a witness. I don't gather John, uh, that uh, Joe Biden had signed on to this. Uh, no. You know, it, it's... I would be curious to watch that unfold. I don't think that... I don't think Joe Biden would be a good witness against himself in that situation. No, I, I don't. First of all, I don't think it's happening. I don't think it's going to happen now. And somebody, it may have been Joe Biden said like, this isn't fantasy football or no, it was Adam Schiff said, this isn't fantasy football. You can't trade witnesses. <laughs> like maybe, maybe that's the problem is it's not fantasy football. Maybe we need to like get DraftKings involved in exactly. the impeachment hearing and like. Everybody you know, gets points. Right. You know, if you get the, enough points, you can actually get somebody uh, convicted on impeachment. Not just impeached, because those are two different things. Convicted right. and removed. Okay. So, I think that's pretty much our impeachment. Uh, anything yeah. else you want to? You know, wrap on it the national with? level. Again, there are probably some other things going on, but we we've taken a special interest for a couple of reasons about Boeing and the seven thirty seven Max. Which has risen again from the, well, the ash heap of, it's of not the really news rising cycle. anywhere, but it's yes. not right. Well, yes, that's that, that's part of the problem. Uh, so yeah, so apparently there's been so they've been going through, and you know, let's go back and cover the story since we haven't talked about it in a while. So the 737 Max ended up being grounded because of some software problems because basically they tried to override the aerodynamics of the airplane with software and it didn't really work out and there's a yeah. bunch of other problems related to that yeah not um, good yeah not good so uh, in the process of addressing that software glitch they found another software glitch and they also found wiring problems that could cause shorts well and what's interesting about that wiring problem that could cause shorts if you uh, there's some reporting I think by the daily, where they were interviewing people who worked at some of the Boeing factories in quality who were saying like, oh yeah, they've got real problems manufacturing some things because they're not coating uh, sharp surfaces in the right things and that can cause wires to rub and then those can short out. And part of me is like, whoa boy, that's what that guy said. Yeah. Checks flights and see what plane I'm on. Right. Um, well, we actually even saw some reporting when this first came up around, like, uh, the Dreamliner and some per some issues around, like, 
something like a ladder being found inside of an airplane's tail, like because you know it's a big tail, and I guess a small ladder. But I mean, how do you get up there in the tail without I, a ladder? I don't. I, I have no idea. But um, and and I mean the impact on this has been that they've laid off 3,000 workers or reassigned. They've said you know getting them out of 737 Max production because they're not because they're not making them right. They're now, not making them right they now. Are, certified um, to fly anymore. They're so. looking to raise between 5 and $10 billion in additional funding to cover some expenditures around this. Um, right. And so they're having to compensate those airlines that bought yes. the 737 Maxes for the losses that they're facing. So, right. yeah. And, and you think about somebody like Southwest, which only operates 737s, that's a big problem for them if the 737 Max can't fly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think I said to you, even American, who's much bigger, you know, has a much bigger diversified fleet. Like, they were canceling flights left and right because yeah. they just didn't have the MAX in in service. And you see even now they're, you know, how far out do they say, well, we're not going to fly the MAX. And Boeing's expecting that it gets certified by the middle of the year. But I think the public announcement is... That was pushed back from, I mean, that just yeah. sounds like... Well, six months from now, and then six months will be six months from then. I, I, I'm honestly, I will be surprised if the 737 Max ever flies. Just on the fact that nobody wants to get on. The I mean, damn do you thing. want to get on it? No, no. I, I still look at like when I'm going to book a flight. I'm like a 737, 800, 900. Like we're fine. I'm, I would never get on a Max. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it even makes me question like 787. I've flown in a 787. It's pretty swanky, so that, I have that level of comfort makes me think, you know what? If I'm going to die in an airline crash, this is the way to go. You know, 737, my knees are probably in the seat in front of right. me. I don't have those cool windows. 787, it's like I got nice climate control. It's nice and quiet. I got the cool, like, LCD window thing going on. You know, if I'm going to go out in a plane crash, it's not a bad way to go. No, it's a bad way to go. Okay, it's a bad way to go. Speaking Doing of bad ways to go. imitations, never recommended. Yeah. Speaking of bad ways to go, the coronavirus. Yeah. So we kind of move into international news. <laughs> the Wuhan coronavirus, which is my biohazard cover band's name, coincidentally. Um, apparently, uh, they've had uh, travel bans going into place in China. A lot of it is hard to know what's going on at of this course, point. Like we it's have, China. We, we don't know how many people. Well, I mean, whether it's a China or not, we don't know how many people have been infected overall. We only know how many people have been showing up at the hospital. From those, we know how many people have been dying. Most of the people who have been yeah. dying are people who are elderly or have other chronic yeah. health conditions. But they didn't have a good test in two, until two weeks ago. And the reporting from Wuhan is that the hospitals are turning people away, even if they have sy- symptoms. Yeah. So you kind of go like, is it 4,000 people or is it? Like, you can easily see this being the beginning of that movie that you saw about something going bad with the virus. But Whichever movie it was, to yes. be honest. Um, so, yeah, so it's a little hard to know. Um, as far as what the U.S. is doing... Um, they've added monitoring policies at uh, basically what anybody who comes from Wuhan directly or indirectly, um, they are making sure that they only show up at five U.S. airports. And those five U.S. airports have containment policies around it to make sure that people are screened and that they don't have symptoms. Yeah. And all of that. And that's and I think they're screening people coming out of Wuhan even by car. Right. 
Well, I think most of the screening is what's your temperature. They've shut down public transit. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing. Uh, they've shut down flights and trains out of Wuhan. So, like, if you're in Wuhan, they're basically say, stay there. And if you're in Wuhan and you say, stay there, I don't know that's really a good idea for you. But you probably should because... We're just going to make it worse if you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, the Lunar New Year is coming up, so we're coming up on the Year of the Rat. And that's one, right? Right. So we're going to have a coming up potentially a global plague spread by spread in the Year of the Rat. Just saying. Rats are nothing but trouble. Get out your pointy masks, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. 2020. Of course, the last big epidemic was in 1920. Well, there you go. And the last big one before that. 1820. Okay. Well, that's that's comforting. Thank you. But those are all flu viruses. Fair. Fair. So, thank God it's So, corona. I hope you got your flu shot, everybody. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, I feel like corona virus should lead into our beer segment, I, I but we've got other stuff to cover. That. I was just <laughs> thinking that. It's a virus that makes everybody drink kind of watery beer. But with a lime, so it's really actually yeah. quite nice. Seems like you're on vacation. Good on a summer day on a beach. And, and let me say before we kind of move into a topic that we always expected to be talking about, when we started this, you know, really 38 weeks ago. Feels way longer. I know. <laughs> I didn't think that at this point we would be talking about an impeachment trial in the Senate where the president had already been impeached. True. Pregnant pause. You know... I thought we would be talking about the election, and we're about to talk about that. I thought we'd be talking about how the president is, you know, trying to, you know, solidify the unitary executive in every way that yeah. we always expected him um, to do. Weirdly, EJ was expecting us to talk about the Wuhan coronavirus, so I'm a little concerned about him. But, I, you know, we'll move on from that. Yeah. So it, it is interesting to me, you know, the, the focus now is is on this pushback, is on this place where, you know, it seems like uh, the calculations of the president in terms of what he could and could not get away with were wrong. But were they? Because uh, he he's gotten away with it so far, and, and if they don't convict him, he's still getting away with it. November will tell. So, Indeed. speaking of November. Let's, let's talk about the circus. The circus. Election Circus 2020. New York Times coming out with endorsements. You know, the New York Times, really uh, interesting place. They came out with endorsements. Really exactly what everybody would expect by endorsing two people. Both sides. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is... Uh, you know, I have to say my initial reaction to this is a little different from my take on it today, and we're going to kind of get into that. But, like, so they've endorsed both Klobuchar and Warren. And the theory being that they're both very competent people, but they have two different ideological approaches. And so, essentially, you can't go wrong with either of them. Yes, please don't vote for Donald Trump, is what they're saying. Well, or Biden, or or Buttigieg, or somebody else who has a B involved in their name. You know, whatever. Um... They want to continue to be relevant. I guess. I mean, I, I don't know who pays attention to it. I mean, obviously, we paid enough attention that we noticed. But um, where it might 
get interesting, though, and I totally wrote this off as ridiculous and, like, you may as well just endorse everybody at that point, um, is the way that Iowa's playing out right now. Yeah. And so Biden is currently leading in the polls. Which is new, right? Like, this Biden He's was kind not... of surged from behind. Yeah. Um, but with but all four of the top candidates are within 5% of each other. So it's not like there's anybody who has such a grand lead that's clearly they're going to win at this point. No. And there's been some movement, you know, so, you know, uh, Biden was, was up and then he was down a little bit and Sanders up and then he was down a little bit and Warren's up and, you know, like, but they're all pretty close. Where this gets interesting is Klobuchar. Right. So the way that Iowa works is it's a, it's a caucus. And right. in every precinct where they're doing the caucus. We should just call it a mob. Yes, the mob. So every mob that is meeting in a high school gym somewhere in, in the middle of Iowa, uh, like literally every gym is in the middle of a cornfield, as it turns out. Um, and so they go into the cornfield, they go into the gym, and they, and they gather. And if you like Bernie Sanders or you like Warren, you go gather with them, and they start counting who's got the most people. If you have less than 15%, though, the person that you are voting for doesn't count anymore, and they you have disperse. to go pick somebody else. And I've gathered that, like, you know, there's people from each side trying to, like, cajole you to come to their side. Yeah. And, da, 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 and it's – I there's some there's some issues with the way caucuses work in terms of, like, disabilities and people having the time off to do it and whatever. But sure. Sure, the sure, overall sure. concept of that is fascinating to me. But where it gets really interesting is how Klobuchar plays into this. Right. Because her people will probably she, disperse. Because she's not going to get 15%. No. So where do her people go? And do her people say, well, the New York Times told me I should go for Warren instead? I, I think that's that's entirely possible. Or do they go to Biden? Or do they? I can't imagine a Klobuchar but, voter going to Sanders. But Biden's Biden was nobody's second choice. You know, it was like... Right. Almost everybody's second choice was Warren. Right. And and I guess I guess there are some, you know, there are some cases I suppose where, you know, maybe Klobuchar's really popular, her whatever 8% is all from some very compact districts and so maybe she does get 15% in those compact districts, but Right. Yeah, cuz it is district by district, it's yeah. it's weird. Um but yeah, I but, mean But I mean I could see, you know, if Warren is within two or three points of being the front runner. I could see her being pushed over the top by Klobuchar voters right. potentially. I, but also keep in mind that over the top is more narrative, right? It's all, yeah, it's hundred percent narrative because, because the the delegates are awarded proportionately. Yes. So and, and there's state level delegates, and there's also the the, the local delegates yeah. too. So like you win in that gym in a cornfield in Iowa, you get those delegates. But then overall, for however much you get. Around the state, you will also get delegates. Right. It's total chaos, everybody. It is. <laughs> it is. And I guess for the first time ever, they're going to announce raw counts of caucus goers for each candidate. So that will that will give the candidates more to spin with. Yes. So you could have, again, you could quote unquote win the popular vote in Iowa but get fewer delegates because you have a right. higher concentration um, in certain places. And I should also note that the other people who play in this a little bit are Yang, Gabbard, other people who have, like, a small but loyal following who will be, you know, w like, where do Yang supporters go? I feel like 
probably Sanders, but, you know, who knows? I don't see a Yang supporter going to Biden, though. Yeah. Like, I don't see, I guess the thing is, like, I don't see a lot of these sort of, like, you know, secondary choices ending up on Biden's doorstep. And he's currently the leader, so it could get very interesting. And, and the polls are still very much in flux, if you look. So. Yeah, absolutely. And there's not a lot of there's not a lot of high quality polling, right? Like there are a few, but it's not a ton. We're 11 days out. 11 days. Whew. Wow. Almost there. We are almost there. And as we all know, whoever wins Iowa will be in charge of the planet in 20 years. That's how this all works. So, yeah, I think I agree with you. Klobuchar voters will determine that in 11 days. 11 days. Days. Yes. And so next week we'll give our Iowa predictions. I assume right. you'll be in town. I'll Probably. be in town. We'll figure it out. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. And you believe us. Down because, to the vote. Because we are clearly correct. Always. Always. I, and let me tell you uh, my favorite thing about election season thus far is in a blast to 2016, here comes Hillary Clinton. You know, I was commenting the other day, like, if I never see another story that involves Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders in 2016 ever again, I will be very happy. Uh, But yeah, no, apparently she has a Hulu documentary series, which, of course, she has to talk about right now as we're going into Iowa because, I mean, I mean, fundamentally, it reads to me as going after Sanders to help Biden, saying that Sanders, nobody likes Sanders, trying to sort of further the argument that that Sanders isn't going to be able to get any of these grand ideas done because the Senate's going to align against him. And Well, and here was my... I, I really liked Sanders' response to that, which was on a good day, my wife likes me. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Bernie yeah. Sanders, for be se- being self-deprecating and just yes. not giving that the, the time of day. Like I, and Twitter, Twitter did give it the time of day by tweeting out, "I like Bernie" all over the place. Um, the timing. I think sucks. even even Steyer got in on it. Like, I like Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Tom. Tom's like, uh, presumably in the middle of walking into a weird weird <laughs> argument between him and another candidate. But you know, exactly. Whatever. Tom like comes in like. I was just trying to set up a conference call with me, uh, Bernie, and Hillary just to talk about, uh, you know, actually nothing. I was I, I, yeah. I, the impossible burger. I just thought it'd be fun to have a conversation, and right. this came out right before it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand the timing. I don't understand the, the necessity of it from... Well, I mean, I think I, I really do feel like it's, it's part of trying to help undermine Sanders... As we go into Iowa, I don't think it's going to have a lot of a lot of impact on anything, but you never know. Okay, so let's talk about suspicious timing on another thing related right, to Hillary Clinton. Right. So Tulsi Gabbard has apparently decided to sue Hillary Clinton for fifty million dollars, going to the Devin Nunes School of, of yeah, Politics, exactly. apparently, but um, saying that Clinton caused anguish and damage to her reputation when she described her as a Russian asset. I guess I'd have to find the people who really felt 
that she had a reputation to damage yes. that strongly. Yes. Um, uh, no, I, I found those people. They're on the internet. Don't engage. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Fair. Fair. <laughs> um, of course they're on the internet. Yeah, but like even in like the legal complaint, it was describing From Clinton Russia. as a cutthroat politician by any account. Like, what are you doing? You know, I, I was remiss and did not look up who was representing her. Um, mm. it, it, it would be interesting to look that up and see who it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it, could we just focus on the candidates we still have in the race? Yeah, we don't need anybody who is not in this race, lost a previous race. Let's just focus on the folks we have. One of the things I, like, if 2020 goes well, or at least does not go apocalyptically bad... I look forward to never having to talk about 2016 ever again. Like, yes, there will be academics who will look at it through history like they talk about uh, McGovern, da-da-da. Like, we're not going to, we're just going to stop having that be a thing. It's not going to come up every every two years as like, let's not screw this up again. I really hope to never again, agreed, never ever have to talk about the 2016 election again oh. so yeah so uh so now of course bernie's back to the 2020 biden. election yeah bernie and biden actually getting into it the way that that i think we would have expected them to yeah. earlier well yeah and like this was all done a lot more indirectly in the debates and everything like now they're more directly going after each other um uh, a Sanders surrogate called out Biden as corrupt. Now they were talking about corrupt in a more systemic sense, not in a you know Taking quid money pro in, quo yeah. sense of it. Uh, but anyhow, Sanders apologized for that, even though he you know he obviously didn't do it, but the surrogate did. Um, and then Biden released a video saying that Sanders was falsely accusing him of wanting to cut Social Security. And. If you look at the video, it's like very clearly focusing in on Biden yeah. being against taking Social Security and privatizing it or turning it into block grants. Right. But not, but that, not specifically about cutting Social Security, right, like, which he's been he's if you look at the record, he's very clearly been totally fine with yes. more than once in his career. More than once. So maybe now he's like, oh, yeah, no, I see the value of it now with the way that 401ks have worked in the overall economy and da-da-da. Yeah. Like, he's like, no, I'm totally on board with it now. That might be true. But it, historically, he was willing to throw that under the bus at any point. He, I, I think he was willing to use it as a bargaining chip. Yes. Right? I think, you know, as a centrist-ish, yeah. you know, third-way kind of Democrat right. was willing to say, well, I'll concede on some of this to get some of that. I don't think I didn't see anything in the record that said Biden came out and said like, you know what we really need to do is get rid of those freeloaders on social security right, or whatever. Right, right. No, and if you get the sense of it it's like a lot of the uh, like a lot of that centrist take on things of like, okay, well, maybe we make it more sustainable by adding means testing or maybe yeah. we we change the age ch- limit on it. And once you start doing that sort of stuff, well, first of all, either of those is a cut. Yes. Let's not pretend otherwise. No. Um, 
if you change the age limits, that is going to hurt people who are in more blue collar, physically demanding jobs where they need to retire because their bodies simply can't keep up with it. Yeah, yeah, no um, doubt. You know, both you and I work desk jobs effectively if our home offices are considered desks. Um, it's a beanbag. It's a beanbag, fine. Uh, home beanbag jobs. You know, so it's you know it's different for us versus somebody who really is like yeah. lifting things and and all that all day. So we need to be much more careful about that. And honestly, I think the candidates who are talking about expanding Social Security make a lot more sense in light of how much difficulty people have in getting a return on their investment in four hundred one k's. Yeah, no, I, I for sure. You know, and I think at the very least, you could say. Joe Biden has not been a champion of Social Security. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, that is the nicest way to put it. I think uh, the reality is more of a eh, feels it's probably going to be fine. <laughs> like, yeah. eh, it'll probably be fine. Big smile, big yeah. smile. And then, of course, Biden said, well, there was Sanders released a doctored video. Uh, it no, wasn't doctored. It wasn't doctored. Yeah. Not at all. Of course, now, here comes Bloomberg. And the, look, blo- the Bloomberg momentum. Ouch. Uh, the, <laughs> the scary thing to me is that he's started to, to come out with talking points and messages that are populist, that have been lifted from the Bernie Sanders campaign and his... Well, I mean... That's what Trump did. I that is exactly what Trump did. And so <laughs> it's all a lie. Like, you know what you really need is another billionaire populist. Like I from New York. Like could you imagine that being the that being the election? You've got to choose between billionaire which, populist which, which New York billionaire populists right. in air quotes. I Although one is authentically rich and one is probably not, but <laughs> Like I think, like you know, like if I, I mean, when I'm gi- if I'm given that choice, the ob- the choice is obvious. But like, you know, Bloomberg actually made his billions, billions. I think it's multiple billions. I have no idea how rich he is. I mean, once you get the first one, who? Right. <laughs> it's. I mean, he's spending like hundreds of millions already. So clearly, he's got more than one billion to throw yeah, around. Yeah, it's just so. kind of. He um, doesn't even notice. Yet. Well, what's interesting about this is apparently he's driving up the cost for ad buys in a lot of places. Right. And so <sighs> more grassroots, you know, small down ballot people are having trouble buying ad time because Bloomberg has driven up the prices. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would love to talk about this and maybe we could spend a whole episode on this that nobody will listen to about the economics of elections post Citizens United and what that means oh, yeah. for elections at every level. And it is really fascinating, job creators. But, <laughs> but yes, the reality is you can, in kind of a war of attrition, not only drive out your competitors because they can't afford to spend money, you know, buy ads as early as he is in those markets, but also the down-ballot folks are really, really suffering. So, you know, there are... There are primaries in some very important swing states. And, you know, for, you know, Congress and for, you know, state level elections, which are also very important. We shouldn't keep our, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of those. 
where people can't afford those, those ad buys. Now, I would argue that you, they should probably be spending their money on digital, but that's a separate thing. It's a separate well, thing. but I mean, even then, it's like there's... Well, I, I don't know how that works for... Because, like, Facebook just has, like, whatever price it is. Like, I don't know how that works for competing for time and certain keywords. Like, I I don't know how that I plays out. I know the out. price does go up in Facebook as well. It does. So, okay, okay. And just as it would for Google AdWords, right? Okay. So you have to say, I'm willing to spend up to X number of cents per impression and per click. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that number, you're essentially doing a blind bid. So you, you say, like, I'm willing to spend 50 cents a, an impression or something like that. Yeah, or 50 as long cents as a nobody click. else is willing to spend 51, it's yours. Yeah, so really interesting. And I, I think we'll subtly shape the way things work in a way people don't recognize. Yes. Um, you know, we're, there's one more thing I want to talk about election-wise uh, before we talk about beer, and I really want to talk about this beer. But Bobby Rush, this is kind of our jump segue into Chicago politics. Yes. Bobby Rush, congressman from the south side of Chicago, uh, longtime activist has endorsed Michael Bloomberg. How much was he paid for that? <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. I just... I, I, I'm maybe presenting I mean, you know, without comment. I, like, I guess my, my thinking on this is endorsements don't really matter all that much. Like, they do in some very specific cases, and I'm not going to get into that right now, but, like, does Bobby Rush's endorsement of Bloomberg matter? No. But does him endorsing, again, you know, getting ahead of the curve, maybe buy him some clout in a Bloomberg administration down the line that he could not get otherwise in a Biden or Sanders or Warren or Klobuchar or Buttigieg or Steyer? There's still a lot of people running, isn't there? Uh, there are still a lot of people. <laughs> with. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had endorsed Kamala Harris previously. Oh, okay. Well. So... <laughs> So, not a good sign for Bloomberg, I guess. He's yeah, the well, Bobby Rush curse now. So. Thank you. The Bobby <laughs> Rush curse. Uh, so, here's the other thing I wanted to talk about. And this is a little nerdy, campaigny, nerdy stuff. But the, the DNC had essentially made a policy, and we talked about this low those many moons ago, uh, where they would not recommend or hire people working on campaigns who are running against incumbents. Yes. So if you were, you know, let's say you're running against <laughs> a Dan Lipinski. Yes. You're a Marie Newman. And you want to hire some folks. If you hired, if they agreed to work for you because you're running against an incumbent, they were blacklisted from anything funded by the Democratic Party. By the triple C specifically, but yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, and so if you are trying to establish a business as a consultant to campaigns, that's a big deal. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, maybe that one primary campaign, you're, you know, you're working for somebody who's a challenger. That campaign ends, you're going to need to go on to the next thing. And unless she wins, you know, you're, you're now out of a job because the triple C is against yeah. you. For who knows how long. I mean, yeah. So uh, this week there was sort of a truce, truce, Read that hopefully 
we'll, uh, we'll end that blacklist. We'll end that, that practice. Because, uh, I mean, it's really ridiculous to not think that we should always be finding our best person in every district. And that may not be the incumbent. An incumbent may not represent their district yeah. the best way. Well, and that's and that's what gets in the eccentricities of the way that DCCC works is like they are focused on protecting whoever is the incumbent. And sometimes, like nominally, they're fo- focused on that. Where they allocate their resources may vary depending on how much they really like them. Um, there's a definitely a, 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 another layer of politics around how they make their choices about who they back. Yeah, and, and I guess, in my mind, I would have thought that the DCCC's mission would be to have as many representatives in Congress as possible. Right. Like, I feel like the DCCC, their job shouldn't even start until the primaries are over. But Yes. And yet... I would agree. You know, I mean, you can make a fair case to say, all right, they should be involved in an open primary where it's like, oh, there's nobody in that seat. And they're like, we want we think this person is the best chance. OK, I can see that argument. But but otherwise, if it's two people running against each other, screw off. It's not your problem. And yet. I guess it is. Is it our problem? So hopefully that actually yes. takes. Yes. Let's talk beer. OK. We today are at Pilot Project. Yes. It's a new I place had, for us. I had never actually heard of this place and then just did like some Googling because we had, we're trying to go to some places we hadn't been before, before we sort of go back to our old haunts. Um, and Pilot Project, like the premise of it is like they sort of act as a... Like incubator? An incubator, yes. I think it's a term of like for, for different breweries who are like, or not even, they're not established breweries yet, but people like trying out different yeah. beers and, you know, maybe they'll become a brewery, but they're just sort of getting started at this point. Yeah, it's a really cool concept. It's on Milwaukee. So it's kind of Wicker Park ish, yes. Logan Square. It's, it's really close to the other 26 breweries on Milwaukee. Uh, I, I had not been in here. We came in, and the first thing I noticed, you know, like the beers, I was like, they have a house lager and then a house IPA. I'm like, okay, that's great. They serve them in glasses that I I can only describe as the best glasses made for drinking. Yes. And talking with a Britney Spears microphone. Yes. Very narrow. Yes, at the they're top. very well equipped to dodge the microphone here. Let yeah. me demonstrate. Very well done. Did you hear the Nobody heard that. No, you did not. I, and I had I started with the House IPA V2. Yes. And it may be my new favorite beer. I, I yeah, am, like I walked in I, and he was like, "This is the best beer I've ever had." And I'm yeah, like, "Oh, wow, okay, I, unbelievable." Also, uh, they have a geodesic dome here. That's yeah. A I was gonna thing. say like the first thing you noticed was the beer. I'm like, no, no. The first thing you noticed was a geodesic dome. Um, so they have like an outdoor, like they got a lot of picnic table kind of seating area, um, and there's a geodesic dome because it's cold out. Uh, so if you want to sit outside and enjoy pretending you're outside, you can do that. And there are people we in there now. We did not opt for that. We did uh, not. You're we sitting at. They've got like a lot of long tables here, yeah. so it's a little more communal seating. They got kind of some like loungy stuff. They got like a nice yeah. leather couch and a couple of cushy chairs. 
It's really um, cool. It's really oh, cool. It's really and nice. what was your first beer? It was a tiramisu uh, yes, stout, Yes, it was a right? tiramisu stout. It was the Cosimo. I didn't catch what the brewery was. So the way the, the menu's broken down, there's four different sections, one corresponding to each brewery that they're representing at this point. Um, I thought it was delicious. It didn't really taste like tiramisu to me, but it was very good. Um, and now I'm on to the Lager V2, which is delicious. I would not say it is the best lager I've had, but it is a solid contender. Uh, it is, yeah. I I actually have the lager V two right now as well. Super good. I, you know, and and here I am, because everything to me is anxiety. I'm like, well, this the IPA V two is fantastic. This is like the best beer I've ever had. Now, what happens if it goes away? Is it ever going to come back? How's how am I going to know where it goes? What happens? What, whatever happens. I don't know. What it, maybe what the V one? Maybe the V one was better. Did you think about that? No. Don't say that to me. <laughs> Did I miss the V1? Was the V1 better? Uh, I, but I'll, EJ, I'll, EJ is leaving the podcast because he's going to be spending the rest of his time figuring out which version of the I can't IPA even buy the V1 correct. anymore. Now I'm uh, going to go on eBay, find the V1. Yes. I, and they also do crawlers here so you can take them home. I'm a big fan of the crawler. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a cool spot. I, I, I will tell you that when I have people in town... I will bring them to this bar. Yeah, this feels like really classy. Um, there's a good selection of beers. There's also like they had like a section of the menu that was like kombucha, which I don't get. I know there's like I don't know, it's like space aliens in a glass. I don't understand it, but but they have like a whole section of that, like and they actually have food here too. We did not get any food. Uh, they didn't have pretzels. That's they didn't have why. pretzels, which is they why had we didn't charcuterie, get food. they had a cheese plate, so they had some hummus, they yeah. had a, a uh, tofu banh mi. I don't know how I remembered all that from the glance through. I don't through, know either, but, but they had all of those you, things. It's, I, again, I'm, I'm just really giddy about this place. I really like it. Yeah, no, I like everything about it. And they have plants. So I like plants. Oh, uh, yeah. And, like, location-wise, like you mentioned, Wicker Park or whatever, if you know the Congress Theater, it is right across the street from the Congress Theater. Uh, if you aren't familiar with the Congress Theater... Allow me to explain it to you. Imagine, if you will, like you've seen movies where there's like some moment where it's like an action movie or whatever, and they end up in this sort of post-apocalyptic world, and they go into some theater, and it's like things nice. falling off the ceilings or whatever. That's the Congress Theater when I saw concerts there, and somehow it not yet been condemned. I think in the meantime it was condemned, and now it's being converted. I don't know. It's being... Like, they're doing some, like, development around building, like, a residential high-rise, and they're converting it to, I don't know, whatever. But That's what they always do. Right. That's what they always say. It's getting a little a little gentrification, a little upgrading. Uh, I see scaffolding on it and a lot of posters for concerts that will not be there because they are not open. Nice. <sighs> but, yeah, so that's uh, a beer segment. We're going to do a quick uh, Chicago segment because... You should check Once it again, out. There's some Chicago and Illinois on. stuff going on. Um, a little I, bit. I will give a quick uh, marijuana update. Um, still long lines. The only reason I know this is I regularly walk by. There's a, uh, a dispensary uh, along one of my places where I walk. I was there around lunchtime going to have lunch nearby, and there was like 40, 50 people waiting to go there. So, And that was like a Wednesday. So it's still very busy. It is. Uh, I, I feel the tax money rolling in. It's, it's Give really good. Give me that sweet, sweet tax money. That's 41%, right. ladies and gentlemen. 41%. 
So yeah, so that's their, that's what's going on with uh, pot in Chicago. Um, apparently, 2019 elections are finally yeah. over. That's good. I mean, my God, they were so long ago. But the last well, challenge. the last election, the last 2019 election was settled in 2020. So that's impressive. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and so this has all been through challenges of things like. Was the election certified properly and whatnot? But the last aldermanic election was just finally the last court case about the last aldermanic election. And this is interesting, was settled after the last ballot challenge to the 2020 ballot. So, you know, signatures for the 2020 yes. ballot were due a while ago. Ballot challenges, those all got resolved before we resolved before re- the previous resolved election. 2019. So that's a thing. But uh, nothing twi- was changed by this, so it's all no, settled now. No, nothing was changed. Just I, I would say what had already happened. Yeah, and the 2020 ballot is now set. Um, uh, you'll see a lot of new faces on the ballot. Uh, I was talking to some, some folks who had been challenged who were excited to be on there. Um, I will say lots of anti-establishment. You know, we talked a lot in this podcast about the machine being dead. It is not. Uh, to see the people I know who have had their ballots challenged or their signatures challenged for the most ridiculous reasons. Yes. Um, it, is, it is not pushing up the daisies. No. Shout out Terry, Terry Jones, who has passed, but moving on. That is on. true. I, and, but I think everybody that I know and support has passed those, ballot, those challenges. Yes. So a few people we kind of know haven't, but uh, the ballots are now set. Uh, expect to see canvassers very, very soon. I mean, you know, the 2020 election, be it presidential, you've got all those folks out there here in Chicago uh, canvassing for their presidential candidate, but also for judge and for committeeman, which is going to be pretty big. Yep. St. Patrick's Day, everybody. Grab a beer, grab a ballot card. St. Patrick's Day. Possibly not in the same place, but I think there are some places where you could almost do that. Uh, no, I'm sure time. there are. I know that there are. I know that there uh, are. In the 33rd Ward, I can think of five off the top of my head. So uh, that'll be fun. The, <laughs> uh, the other thing, Chicago, we, we touched on it briefly. Two, there have been two, uh, I guess, let's say, things proposed at the city council. One is a ban by Scott Wagespeck on, uh, on single-use plastics and styrofoam. So that's now in the works. And I think we'll hear more about that in the February city council meeting. Uh, and then your alderman, uh, Matt Martin, uh, with his climate emergency resolution, yep. which really what that does is it opens up uh, the environmental committee. I don't remember the exact name of that committee yeah. to be able to take some more action. And I think his quote was something like, we all know this is happening, people. We don't want to be caught flat-footed. Yeah. So it's, it's about giving us some flexibility. Yeah, and we saw that in recent days with storms like we, we had the lake levels are very high right now. We had wind coming off the lake and, like, just really ripping up things. There was some concern that the Navy Pier flyover that they've been building might have been damaged by it. Like, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff going on. And so. in Rogers Park, they lost permanently Yeah, there's, two like, or beaches that beaches. just don't exist anymore. Yeah. And they're like, nah, we're just going to replace it with rocks. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and this is the thing with climate change in Chicago, we're not going to have, like, it's not like rising oceans. We don't have that problem here. What we will have is the drought and flood cycles 
being out of control are going to affect us. So the lake levels are very high right now. At some point in the next few years, the, the lake levels will be very low because of a drought. And we're just going to keep having that back and forth that will make it hard to plan and hard to sort of maintain the lake and, and what we're doing with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no doubt. And I'm glad to see the city council taking some action. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we definitely need national action and we need global action, but, you know, start where you can. Yeah, it's the same week that the EPA's rolled back all the clean water protections. So. Right. Everything's fine. We're all good. Everything's fine. Jesus. It's all fine. Uh, uh, so a little more broadly, like Illinois level, congratulations, Don Harmon, 39th District Senator. He's new president you, of the do Senate. Do you know who Don Harmon is? No. Okay. I, I mean, I do. That. I've seen him. Okay. I've been in the same room as Okay. Him. All right. I, I, I feel I don't like know maybe we personally. should do like a little segment next time maybe about like who the hell is Don Harbin and why is he in charge of the Senate now? But uh, Well, Cullerton left. So. Well, I know, yes. Cullerton left. I mean, honestly, I just knew Cullerton's name. I didn't know a lot about him. But, uh, you know, we'll yeah, maybe Don get Harmon, into that a little more. I, for a minute, I thought it was the same guy that played Spencer and Spencer for Hire in the 80s TV show. Oh. It's not. <laughs> Turns out it's not. <laughs> For those millennials listening to the podcast, rate us on iTunes. <laughs> exactly. And then see if iTunes has Spencer for Hire. It was a great show. Great show. So uh, new Senate president, which is a big deal. We haven't had a new Senate president in a long time. Um, and he seems pretty aligned with, I think, more genuinely aligned with our governor than maybe Cullerton was. Yes. So uh, I'm, I'm all for change at the top of the leadership of both the Senate and the House. Yes. Our, our, our governor, the exception that proves the rule that you shouldn't elect rich billionaires to run your state or country. But it turned out, worked out okay. Yeah, he's delegating things to everybody. He's done good. He's done good. Yeah, I, I, it's great. Uh, the other thing that I saw in the last couple of weeks, sort of on the state level, which I thought was interesting, and I, I, I bring it up because I think it highlights and reminds us about what kind of state we live in because we're very Chicago-centric often. Um, so there is a movement. Uh, there's been a bill proposed by a, a downstate uh, Republican uh, legislator to get rid of the FOID cards. So this is your Fire, firearms owner ID cards. And right. So this is a prerequisite of you have to register yourself. And with the state. With the state. There's like paperwork you have to fill out. Um, it's not a particularly onerous process, honestly, and it's not a particularly expensive process, but it is nonetheless required before you can purchase a gun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it is a good reminder that we are in a state with you know, some pretty differing opinions about things like yes. gun rights. You know, I, and I, I, I read an article on this, and I found the quote from the... They quoted a gun sales representative. So I'm guessing this was a downstate news source. But the quote was amazing. I hope that we as American citizens can get our rights back. It shouldn't be sold back to us. I think it should be handed out as freely as it is. It should be free. We should be free. And like, I'm sure, I think at some point he like looked off wistfully right, into the distance. And like we an eagle flew by. Should be free. And, 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 and the trumpets began to play. It's... It's completely insane to me. I actually, I was having a debate online about guns, which so I this almost is... never do anymore because it's always terrible. But it's like, I saw this and I'm like, we're totally different planets. Like, 
your freedoms are not being impinged. We're saying pay a small amount to get a card and fill out some paperwork. It's not like the Gestapo is showing up and like bashing down your door. I mean, anyhow, I just can't. Like, I, yeah. I, <laughs> I, and I guess I would say, you know, I'll be a little counterpoint here to say we're one of five states or four states that have this requirement. Um, and it does feel a bit duplicative with, yeah, you know. I, I think, you know, and there is a legitimate argument to be made about that. I, I think making those grandiose terms. Yeah. Granted, it's a guy who works as a sales rep at a gun store. Yeah. So I get it. But uh, come on. <laughs> and look, look, to me, I just want an additional gun tax. Yes. So let me. Let me trigger the conservatives. Just charge, I would like just a, charge uh, per bullet. That's I all I want a I'm gun saying. tax. Hundred dollars a bullet. Fine. Yeah, it's done. all good. Gun tax. So on that note, uh, one thing before we uh, wrap this up, I wanted to give a shout out to Connie, one of our, I think, most loyal listeners. She's our representative from uh, who's talked about Evanston politics, right. yep. and uh, I actually met her this weekend randomly. Uh, my wife and I were going to adopt a kitten. And she happened to be volunteering and uh, helped us get our kitten. So wow. shout out to her. Thanks, Connie. Thanks for Good delivering job, the, the kitty. It's a very cute kitty, Connie. So that's a, that's a lot of in there. It is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, We're going to stick with it. I hope that, you know, if you can't listen to all 400 hours of the impeachment, you can sit down, listen to us, have a beer with us. Um, and get through it. Yes. It's important stuff. We're here with you. Let us know if there's something we can cover in more depth. Hope to see you soon. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.